morning. Good to see that everybody made it through the storms last night. And if you're missing anything, you might find it about a mile or two down the road. So the Lord sure blessed us and kept us safe last night, and we're thankful for that. I'd like to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as we come here to honor our Heavenly Father and to uh, honor our earthly fathers also. And I'm going to read a scripture from Ether, chapter 1, verse 108. For behold, I am the Father, I am the light, and the life, and the truth of the world. Let's open our hymnals to, uh, I left my paper with the one hymn on it. Do you remember the opening hymn? Gave him, but I couldn't remember him. What number is it? What number is that, Pat? Five forty-eight. May we stand?
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before thy throne of grace this morning to praise you and thank you, Father, for the blessings of another day. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here to guide and direct us today, that we would honor and glorify you. And thank you, Father, for the gift of thy Son. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Parker, are you busy for a minute? Would you come? <laughs> I want you to take this around to all the guys and tell them to pick out a couple tools out there. Start with Roger if you want. He always needs tools anyway. don't know how to use tools. <laughs> Roger's going to be bringing our message here in a minute. I got a couple more things I want to give out to the men, so uh, I'll just hand these out right quick. Roger. You guys get to take these home and you can eat them in front of your wife. Opening scriptures, both New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Okay, Corinthians chapter 6. Be not yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with the devil? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye the separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you, 
and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Furthermore, we have had fathers in our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more be in subjection unto the Father of heaven? We have one more little gift to give to the guys. These are a pocket light. And to tell you that I'm not as smart as I look, during that storm last night coming in, I procrastinated. I did not get a flashlight ready. I did not have my little radio ready until the lights went out. But thankfully, I had one of those in my pocket, and they work pretty good, guys. And Patricia wrote a scripture on the side of them and says, let your light shine, and I had mine shining last night. Father's Day is worldwide. It has its origin uh, beginning in the United States. Joyce read about it a bit this morning. My facts gave it a little bit different thing, but they both agreed about what year and that it was in the United States, but it has spread worldwide. Mine said it began in 1908, so that would be 115 years ago in West Virginia after hundreds of men died in the worst mining accident in the history of the United States. Up around church headquarters, you know, they've got the uh, live stream, and they say they can tell, you know, that's available worldwide, and all you have to do is tune in and they can tell how many people are watching. And they say that um, the younger preachers get more people to follow them than the old, than a, a fat old guy. So I'm here to tell you I identify as trans slender. So just say, so you got to look at me that way from now on. At home, there are, on our property there, there are seven houses that's all family. You know, we're scattered out a bit, but we're all on that same 160 acres, seven houses. And we have there what we call the littles, or I started calling the littles, and now other people do too, because they're three little girls. Their ages are seven, nine, and 12. And if I live long enough, to see one of those little girls have a baby that will be five generations alive at the same time. Now, to be born, we had to have two parents, four grandparents, 32 third great-grandparents, 
over a thousand eight great-grandparents and over four thousand tent great-grandparents. Patty Job, tell me one of your tenth great-grandparents. Tenth great-grandparents, you can't know this. That's what you do. <laughs> oh, heavens. Anyway, in 200 years, and then you in, we will have over 4,000 grandparents in just 200 years. Then if you include in all the uncles and all the aunts and all the cousins and such, it's easy to see if you go back through all the generations since Abraham why God told him that his descendants would be as the dust of the earth. There would be so many. I really kind of think that we should try to live our lives that we don't disappoint whoever you said his name was, Patty. I can't imagine that anyone knows the name of a tenth great-grandparent. I can't say a third great-grandparent name. Scripture tells us that the Lord knows our name, so he those knows every name that ever was. And then it says that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Well, that's varying all the time, is it not? Don't we have less than we used to have? So, you know, they tell us that there's artificial intelligence coming. Well, being that I would say everyone in here except Patty Job can't say anyone that was past their third great-grandparent. I don't think we're doing a very good job at the human intelligence. So maybe there is a need for that coming artificial intelligence. And I was reading a deal the other day about jellyfish. They've been around for a very, very long time. The article I was reading said they'd been around 250 million years. They don't have a brain. So that gives us hope for the human race that maybe it will wise up. You know, the Book of Mormon, it's fairly easy to understand because it was written or translated from the gold, silver, and brass plates that they were engraved on, translated from that original language into the modern English or the language of the 1800s. And it's easy to understand everywhere except that it quotes Isaiah. You know, it's quoting Isaiah of the Old Testament. Isaiah is not one of those first grade readers. But what's even harder for me to comprehend than what Isaiah is saying is a lot of what's in the book of Revelation. And chapter 21 is speaking of the New Jerusalem. Now, the New Jerusalem, that can't be the Old Jerusalem that's still there that was there at that time and still there. 
This is speaking of the New Jerusalem and how and where it's going to be built. This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 19 and 20. And the foundations of this New Jerusalem, of this city, were garnished with precious stones. Then it goes on to name 12, those 12 stones. I'm only going to read six of them because that's all I can pronounce and that's the only ones I've heard of. The first was Jasper. The second, Sapphire. The fourth was Emerald. Sardis. Topaz. And Amethyst. And we've heard of all those. But why does it say these 12 stones are precious? Are they uh, like diamonds? They're so hard they can cut glass and cut steel? Are they precious like that? Are they precious like gold? You know, world gold standard and very, very expensive? Why does it call them precious? It wasn't very long ago that we began to hear of laser lights. Now everyone has a laser light. Laser lights were invented or discovered in 1948 or 1949, and it was first shown in 1950. CH, I bet you remember hearing about a laser light, right? The first time. I remember the first time I held plastic in my hand. So laser lights are within our lifetime, we'll say. And as of quite recently, it has been discovered that if you take a pure polarized laser light and shine it through a thin slice of these 12 precious stones that are listed in Revelation that I just read six of, shine that laser, laser light through a thin slice of that, it turns into all the colors of the rainbow. Diamonds, rubies, and others, they turn black. How did John the Revelator know this? He didn't have a laser light. Electric wasn't invented for another 1,850 years. So I ask you, were the scriptures inspired of God that were written by the hand of the prophets. And it's still that way to this very day. God inspires the hand of the true prophets. Verses 23 and 24. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God didn't light, did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And them which are saved shall walk in the light, and there shall in no way enter into it anything that defileth, 
nor whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but only they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Written by the hand of the prophets, inspired of God. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, even the new Jerusalem. And he said unto me, this is John the Revelator writing this, and he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I guess we are living in the most corrupt generation that has ever been alive on earth. Just when you think you've seen it all, something even more bizarre comes along and presents itself as just normal and common. Normal isn't ever going to be normal again. We grew up in a normal world. It's not going to be that way again because written by the hand of the prophet, by the inspiration of God, was saying that Christ will come in the midst of chaos. Chaos will come. We're too far gone for normal to ever come back again. Chaos is coming before the Christ returns. In the New Testament, there's a story about Christ cleansing the temple. And I believe it goes something like this, that he went to the temple and stood at the doorway and looked, but he did not enter. And then he left, and he came, comes back the next day, and on the way back, it says that he fashioned a whip. That means he made his own whip. And he went into the temple and cleared out 200 men and 2,000 animals. If he was here today and had that whip in his hand, where do you think that he might go? Well, I've got my own ideas on that, but I won't bring them in right now. So the inspired of God prophets of latter day have told us to prepare a place for Christ to return. Pretty much anyone that believes in the Christ says, yeah, he's coming back. But our Latter-day Prophets has told us to prepare a place for him to return. And as I heard it said one time when someone was in disbelief of it, and they said, well, where do you think he's going to come back to, New York City? We have been told that place and to, to prepare it. A place where that there is no compromise, where evil is not allowed to advance. Evil is powerless when the good are unafraid. This place for him to return is called Zion. The second coming will be there. He came as a lamb. He returns as the Lion of Judah. 
And that return is that city of Zion is the last, the best, and the only hope for the human race. And it cannot, it will not, it must not fail because it is the promise of God. You see, the saints have a rendezvous with destiny where they can sentence evil to a thousand years of darkness. And that is taking society from the swamp to Christ. I can say this to America. Hold on, the Patriot Fathers are coming again. Hold on, Zion, the saints are coming. These are Patriot Fathers, Patriot Saints. And you are those Patriot Fathers and those Patriot Saints. And because of that, some people are never going to like you, C.H. They're never going to like you, Steve. And the reason why is because your spirit irritates the demons that they carry. So we've got this life. What are we going to do with it? What is anyone that was ever born going to do with this life that we've been given? Book of Mormon, chapter, or uh, Alma, out of the Book of Mormon, chapter 19. It's verse 84 and 94. And thus we see there was a time granted unto man. That means this lifetime that we've all been given. A time granted unto man, yea, a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. And therefore, according to justice, the plan of redemption could be brought about only on conditions of this preparatory state. Except for these conditions, mercy could not take effect. I want to lay this Book of Mormon on this side. The Bible on this side. I heard the Book of Mormon described as a bunch of hot garbage. The only hot garbage was in the mouth of the person that said that. It was obvious, obvious that he had never read it, he had never held one, he had never opened the pages of it. You know, I always used to think that we needed to defend this Book of Mormon this uh, or verify its words. It's kind of like trying to defend a caged lion. You just open the cage and let it roar. Just open the pages and let it roar. It roars when it calls, calls Satan the father of lies. It roars with the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible roars with the dealings of God on people halfway around the world. The Book of Mormon deals with God, his dealings with the people on this side of the world. You know, the Christ was gentle, yet he roared. To many of them, he wasn't a very popular speaker. He did not take that Dale Carnegie class on how to win friends and influence people. 
He wasn't worried about a paycheck. The same way as we aren't worried about a paycheck, we do this preaching, as the gospel says, freely without charge. We're not worried about influencing people. The measure of success is how we live our life. Christ roared when he called the Pharisees vipers, hypocrites, liars, and told them that the devil was their father. He wasn't worried about being part of the local ministerial alliance. He was gentle, but he roared the words of a loving Savior, saver, a saving Savior. If the wealthy and or want-to-be-rich TV evangelists would proclaim the restored gospel on TV today, the antenna would probably smoke. You know, through that restored gospel, there is going to be, we are told, we understand, there will be people that are condemned to hell. They deserve it. Some people will receive one of the glories. The first is justice. The second is the gift of God to us. A father is supposed to lead their family. Not be a detriment to it, but to lead their family. To protect their family in all ways. I love where the Doctrine and Covenant says we can defend our home and our families even to the point of taking up arms. The scriptures roar. If we are to protect our family in all ways, we're going to protect them from the obvious monster, but also from the deceiving monster. So a father would never let cyanide come into their family. You know, you take cyanide, kill you in just minutes. A real father would never let a poisonous gas into their family like hydrogen sulfide, mercury gas, or chlorine gas. Just part of a breath will kill you. Would never let our loved ones around that. Some poison is bitter. Some, you know, bitter will be that obvious monster. But some poison is sweet. Monoethylene glycol. What is that? Common antifreeze. It is sweet. It is a deceiving monster. Bitter or sweet, they both kill. Society has given us or allows us both that bitter and the sweet, the obvious and the deceiving monsters. Choose wisely what we let into our houses. Life is like a school. And down the road, we may find that, that it has been the school of greatness, or we might find that it's been the school of failure. Now, being a parent, being a father, being an uncle is the adventure of a lifetime. 
But with that adventure, there carries a moral burden of what we give to the world by the bitter or the sweet, the good or the bad of the children that we offer. God called Abraham to be the father of many nations. He called him out of this luxurious slumber that he was in. He called him into catastrophe and war and hunger and displacement. And it was brutally hard on him. But he has this greatest adventure of a lifetime, even to the point that he entertained angels. His calling wasn't this simple, juvenile, self-minded, it's all about me, it's all about comfort. He was not allowed to just meander through life, and neither are we. We are designed to be perfect, and that word perfect means we are designed to be complete, and that completeness comes through having Christ in our lives. And our complete adventure is found by seeking the highest good that we are possible of. Every one of us, ourselves, and no one else, we place our lives on eternal eBay. And what is your adventure going to be worth? Thank you, Roger. Remind everybody that there is a Father's Day dinner in the back that all are invited to stay and uh, to share with us. And we're going to close with the scene of hymn number 22. And C.H., would you bring a closing prayer and a blessing on the food? Hymn number 22, and there's no class tonight.
right now.